Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 87 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Before I talk about today's guest and give a brief introduction, I want to tell you about something exciting going on for me personally. So I was approached a few weeks ago by an online company called Listenable. They have an app that you can download in the App Store. And on Listenable, you can listen to many different audio courses that are taught by all sorts of different people from different walks of life on various subjects. So they asked me to write a short course on grief and how people grieve and how people should or shouldn't grieve. So I agreed to do that. And this week that is launching on Listenable. So you can go to listenable.io and again, download that app from the App Store. The first seven days are free. And then after that, it's $5 a month. So if you want to listen to me a little bit more and learn some other interesting courses, you can do that. As far as today goes, I have an amazing guest. I spoke with Amanda, Bryson's mom. And honestly, I could have gone on and on talking to her. She's got some amazing little stories about Bryson, and I just loved hearing her different insights on raising a child with chronic illness and lots of different struggles, and then talking about afterwards and her grief journey. Bryson was her only child, so that does give a little bit of a unique take as well. So please, I know you will just love hearing Amanda. Thank you so much, Amanda, for coming on the show today and talking about your great son, Bryson. Well, thank you so much for for having me. And I'm excited to talk about Bryson's journey and, you know, my journey after his after his um, untimely passing. All right. Well, why don't you start out by telling us all about your spunky little guy? Because that's what it sounds like he was. Yes. Full of life and energy. Very much so. (laughs) Um, So Bryson was fondly called B and everyone called him B. And, you know, when someone when someone would say Bryson, you know, he would automatically think that he was in trouble because he loved being (laughs) called B. And the funny thing is how how that all transpired was, you know, my son would have been turning 16 this year, but, you know, sending messages back and forth way back on Blackberries and things like that. It just started with, you know, texting B instead of the whole name and uh-huh. everyone just started calling him B and it kind of fit. And that's exactly who he was. But he was just a huge blessing to to myself. I had him at a very young age. I had him when I was 19 and he was born at 27 weeks. He weighed two pounds, 10 ounces. He had multiple strokes at birth. But in that moment, he was a fighter. His APGAR scores were zero, one and one. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And for those that don't know, you know, those are the tests that they first take after they're, after they're born. Yep. So that kind of put into reality, the, the fight that we had ahead of us. Right. Yeah. But in the beginning, he showed all of us that he was that fighter. And when I think about him, he was happy. He was playful. He was definitely stubborn um, around anyone. His laugh literally would make the world stop. And all of the attention would just go straight to him. You know, he was amazing. He was this strong boy with a contagious smile. He literally was admired by anyone that came in contact with him, but also his hopeful spirit in the face of many challenges. You know, 
he didn't know that he was different and that he had different abilities. Yes, he was in a wheelchair. He had feeding tubes. He had a pick line. You know, he was on oxygen at some, you know, during some points of his of his life. But it was just this is just what it is. And we're going Mm -hmm. to adapt. We're going to figure it out. You know, we we always joked um, that he was our square peg in a round hole you know, yeah. of finding meaning that you're not going to conform to, to society, but you are still going to be able to, to live your, to live your life. And he played baseball, he rock climbed, he, you know, he ice skated. There were so many. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. He was able to do all of that. Yeah. Um. Actually during um his memorial service, my sister did his eulogy, which was uh-huh. beautiful. But she, you know, even said that his bucket list was far more completed than mine or anyone in the room. <laughs> you know, if Grayson wanted to do it, we found a way yeah. for him, for him to do it. And there was this ma- amazing organization um, called Johnny and Friends mm-hmm. run by Johnny Erickson Tata. And we would go to the camps in the summertime. And, you know, the interesting story behind that is how we found that was my sister was actually a camp counselor when she was in college. Okay. So she went there and my mom went the, the last summer that she volunteered and um, she was a camp counselor and she actually took care of this little boy that had cerebral palsy. A great seven years later, when my son was born, it was almost that whisper from God of draw strength from what you went to, what, what you went through, excuse me, to be able to now support your daughter and your grandson. And at that summer camp, that is what really opened my eyes of the Lord's love, the Lord's blessing, and seeing different children at different ages with, I like to call, I hate to use the word disability. They're just mm-hmm. different abilities, right? Because you have yep, to draw yep. strength on those abilities that he got to swim. They put him in this harness. My son couldn't stand or walk, but literally was in this harness going up a rock wall. Like, Sure delight. I have a photo of it and like the smile on his face, just <laughs> that sure, you know, delight. He he loved to ride horses. We did hippotherapy with him. The small things in, in life gave him great joy and meaning. And that's just such a lesson for yeah. all of us, isn't it? When you see such joy from things that would not give, you know, the, your typical kid joy. I mean, that's like... Sure, rock climbing. Yeah, right. but I mean, but he would ha- have joy. I'm sure in much, much smaller things than that. So, to be able to just see it is amazing, really. And actually, even rock climbing, like probably kids would be excited rock climbing, but they'd be like, "Well, rock climbing or Disney World? Well, we're gonna pick Disney World, right?" Yeah. But you look at your B, mm-hmm. and he would have the Disney World smile, right? For that rock climb, right? I mean, life can't get any more, any better Mm -hmm. than it is at this exact moment. I mean, that's what you love to see. I love that in kids. Yeah. I love that about kids. I love that about being a pediatrician, actually. Mm -hmm. I just love seeing such joy from tiny little things and excitement. You know, my brother ended up becoming a camp counselor. So it's kind of like in our family of of giving back to, you know, that organization. Uh One of the um, campers that were there, my brother got really close. They're from North Carolina. They actually traveled to New York for my brother's wedding. I mean, and he was older, but he, him and loved each other. Like at this point, Bryson was very young and he would sit on his wheelchair with him. And like the short, it was almost like both of them could not speak. They did not say words, but they communicated. And it was just like that sure delight. And like, this is what the Lord's love is. Right. And you see a little piece of heaven Mm -hmm. in that. So you know, fast forward, I brought that back with me of, okay, Bryson, this is what you want to do. We're going to get up. We're going to do it. We're going to go to school. And then when I moved from North Carolina back to New York, you know, I found this organization um, called um, Challengers Baseball and he got to play Uh baseball and he was, we found this walker that worked for him and he got to play when he got a little bit older, he wanted to use his wheelchair because he could go faster around, you know, around the bases, Mm -hmm. you know, 
Of course he um, could. And it was of just like this could. amazing experience. And Ron Camp, who who runs it now in um, Webster, New York, they actually did a huge fundraiser and they they raised all of this money afterwards. And now we have a fully adaptive baseball field in the town that Bryson grew up in and a playground. And so I was able, after my son's passing, I was able to actually go to one of their fundraising events and talk about my son. And we were able to raise enough money to, you know, to start the process. Just recently, I traveled back to New York um, to go visit my family and, you know, to be there for my son's eighth anniversary of his passing. And they have his picture and his name um, now on a plaque at the baseball field. So to see that his life is still inspiring others. You know, other than that, you know, he, we started going to a special needs school when we moved back to New York and they're like, he's too smart. You need to put him in mainstream school. So then that challenge started, you know, to get him into a mainstream school, but they were able to get him there. He excelled. He did well. The friends that he had of being able to quote unquote, you know, have a normalized life. And he just kept inspiring Mm -hmm. others after his passing, I kept hearing more stories of what they did for him. That gives me great comfort. I grew up in a very loving family. I have a very large family. I have four siblings, but no one has shied away of discussing their grief, of talking about memories. And that's what you, that's what you want. You want someone just to remember your child, you know? That is so special that you have that mm-hmm. because not every family does. I mean, I even think even in my own family, we don't, it's not talked about as much as I wish it was because I think everybody yeah. wants to not make me sad. <laughs> but in fact, it makes me sad when they don't talk about him. So my brother actually started a podcast during this whole pandemic and it's called the, it's called the cruciform life. And okay. um, it's him and two friends and their journey with God and their life and I learned something about my brother and his grief for the first time listening to the podcast. Him and I have never like talked about it. And he talked about how Mm -hmm. my son's death affected him, how his nephew's passing affected his life with the walk with God. And when he found out, he was out with some friends and he went back to his dorm room because he was in college at the time. And he literally prayed to God to bring my son back from the dead because he just didn't know how, how to cope. Um, he was extremely close Mm -hmm. with, with his nephew. And when you pray and pray and pray for healing, for him to, um, have a whole body to not be in pain anymore. But the thing is God gave us that he answered that prayer. He just didn't answer it in the way that we wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, he is free of his wheelchair. He is free of pain. He is free of the disabilities that the, that he was conformed to here in on earth. But now in heaven, he has that perfect body. He is not in pain anymore. And that was eye opening to me of that really affected my, my brother with his walk with God. And it kind of dove him in further of really understanding that our life is, is not our own. It's for God, you know, the path that we take, you know, we make decisions, but God knows what's going to happen before it happens. And sometimes that's hard to wrestle with because then you're like, well, if you knew my son was going to die, why did you make me go through this journey? Why would you create pain in a seven-year-old boy? And, you know, he lived more in the hospital than he did outside of, of the hospital, but it's also realizing he had a purpose. And he had a joy-filled life too. I mean, you certainly had a lot of struggle, but he had so much happiness and joy and taught you and taught others so much, right? I mean, it was a very, very valuable life. It was short. Yeah, and it's so interesting valuable. when people just think that you need, say, 70 or 80 years to make a difference in this world. My son needed seven. Mm-hmm. And like to think that it's it's it consumes your mind because you're like, well, what could he what could he have done if he was here longer? than these seven years, but 
Yep. He changed me. Now my my career path, I'm actually an assistant director for a nonprofit where we actually take care of individuals that have different disabilities. And I love mm-hmm. that I can take what I learned and give back now. So not only do I have the mindset of, you know, an assistant director that I have to, you know, the health, well-being and safety of all of our clients, I see it from a parent's perspective of this is what I went through. And I don't think I would ever been on this career path if I did not have a child with different abilities. And, you know, I lost my son, you know, at a a young age, you know, too. And to, to walk that path as of a single parent of now, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And I think too, in that position, you know, helping to care for these individuals, you know, that they may Mm -hmm. not have as long of a life as, as what would be expected. And obviously, Mm -hmm. just like your Bryson, and just how he made the absolute most of his seven years. That's what you want. That's what you want for all of these people for their years, their months, their whatever, to be the best Mm -hmm. that it possibly can be, you know, and that's what you get to do. And not everyone would be able to see that as easily as you do. Mm hmm. So why don't you talk now a little bit about what happened to Bryson? It was a long journey. As I, as I stated, you know, my, my son was born very premature. Um, he had cerebral palsy. He had a seizure disorder. It was a, it was a life compounded of, of many challenges mm-hmm. that made it difficult through the end of his life with decisions that we had to, to make. But We'll go with like the last year of his life because we literally were in the hospital um, one year to the day that he passed away. Yeah. So he had a couple discharges here and there, but nothing over two or three days for that whole entire year. So we went in um, and my son had a shunt because he had hydrocephalus as well. And we thought... And all of the doctors thought at that time it was a shunt, it was a shunt malfunction. So just to explain that just a little bit. So the uh, shunt is a like there's a tube actually that goes from the brain down to the stomach because when kids have hydrocephalus, that means literally water on the brain, but means that there's too much pressure. And so if they have this little tube that's just a one-way valve, it will let some of that extra fluid, that cerebrospinal fluid is what it's called, or water kind of, flow from the brain just to the belly where it's just got a safe kind of spot to go. So it keeps that pressure in the head lower. So kids with hydrocephalus would have obviously horrible headaches and lots of problems. But if you have this shunt, it can keep that pressure down and keep them doing really, really well. But there are times when that shunt can malfunction and then stop working. You know, with kids that can talk to us and stuff, we will say, if if you have a horrible headache, you need to tell somebody because you need to get in the hospital. So so that's what they were kind of suspecting, it sounds like, with, with Bryson. Mm-hmm. At this point, you know, Bryson, he was six um, when we went into the hospital. And um, at that time, you know, he could say a couple words here and there, but we knew something was wrong because he wasn't that, you know, spunky, joyful little boy. He was very, very irritable. Mm-hmm. He wanted to sleep all the time. So like I knew as a parent, something is wrong. So when we brought them in, we did all of the tests mm-hmm. and everything else like that. And they realized that the, the shunt was kind of kinked you have a shunt when you're a baby, you know, you're going to have shunts growing up because they grow. So you have to change the. Yeah. You put some extra tubing in that it will sort of grow with them, but you can't put in like rolls of extra. And when you do put in extra, it could get, of course, kink off in the abdomen too, because you just put in a fair amount extra just so they can grow and you can keep it as long as possible. Yeah. So So at that point, um, they talked to me, we made the decision that we were actually going to change out the whole entire shunt and we were going to do a mechanical valve shunt, which makes it easier because you can change the pressure with the mag with the magnets, you know, it's a lot of medical terms, you know, I was understanding and I said, okay, this is the best option. He's growing, you know, we have to keep changing the pressure. We're going to have to change it anyway. Yep. Let's, eventually. Just, do it. Let's just do it. 
So we had that surgery and, you know, at this point, my son had a feeding tube. And so the next day when he woke up from surgery, he was retching. He could not tolerate any feeds or anything like that. So that kind of complicated things, you know, the pressure in the brain was good. There wasn't any issues with that. And, you know, to fast forward a little bit, they just couldn't figure it out. It was a very stressful time. What I will say is that the medical staff, I mean, I'll tell a story, you know, later on, but they were amazing. They listened to everything that I said. They knew I was knowledgeable because I've been caring for my child as a single parent from day one with all of his medical history. And I'm like, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Mm -hmm. So we kind of changed feedings out, you know, and to fast forward probably about, you know, three months, we're still dealing with the, with the situation. And at this point we had to go to TPN because we could not sustain, which is getting your nutrition through an IV. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So we ended up putting a pick line, you know, he was going, he had a lot of pain medication. So we got a Broviac, you know, he just had tubes everywhere. Yeah. And those, both those, those terms are just lines that go in that are a little more permanent. So an IV, you have to change out and take in and out, obviously, but these other lines, a pick line, you can keep yep. in like, I don't know, a month or something, but the Broviac is, can just be in. Yep. So. And it goes right into the chest area with that. Yeah. Then, you know, the, the, the crazy thing is he had this severe reaction. I mean, his body was itchy. His skin was becoming scaly, like it was just so complicated. Like no matter what we did, we just couldn't get him comfortable. The area around his Broviac started getting infected and we're like, what is happening? So one of the doctors there, you know, truly listened and they started doing some research. And now this is probably month seven around that time period. And they're like, well, we're going to do start, start doing some allergy testing. Like something, you know, that is in one of these is, is making something happen. This is around Christmas time. So we started doing like, um, silicone testing, latex testing, you know, testing, kind of figuring everything out, but they couldn't figure out the feeds and you can only live so long on TPN. Because your body starts to deteriorate a little bit, you know, you're dependent on it fully, you're not getting the full nutrition that you need, because it is a some it's just sustainable, but it won't keep you alive, long term, you know, because you're losing that nutrition. So we started looking at other hospitals because they were doing the best that they could, but we couldn't figure out the motility issue of why he wasn't absorbing his feeds. So we decided to go to Boston Children's Hospital. So but Listen, Bryson just thought that was the best thing in the world because he was going on a private plane to go to Boston. And he had one request that it was a red plane. And I just said, well, we'll, we'll try and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> so we made it through Christmas. I mean, we spent every holiday for that whole year in the hospital and the things that they did, they had a Santa Claus come in and see him. I mean, he had probably the best Christmas of his entire life. And it was the last Christmas that he had people came in with gifts and he just thought, Oh my gosh, mom, like I'm the queen bee over here. You know, I get to do whatever I want, you know? So anyways, we, um, we flew, um, to Boston and when we showed up, it was a white plane, but it had red on it with the striping. So he thought, okay, well that's, that was fortunate. Yeah. Cause I don't know I don't think he would have gotten on the plane. You'd have been in some trouble had there been no red. Yeah. So of course they told me, you know, you can only bring so much because they have the pilot, they have the doctor, they have the respiratory therapist, you know, they have all of these people on the plane with you. So you can only bring so much, but they're like, we don't know how long you're there for. So the crazy thing is that that day that we flew to, to Boston, that next morning, they got the essay test results back and come to find out that Bryson had silicone hypersensitivity. So with that being said, Mm -hmm. they actually reached out to the manufacturer and they did all of these things. There was only two other documented cases. Wow. He was such a special boy, wasn't he? (laughs) He was very complex. And anyone that met him when they came in, they're like, this is a very complex case. And it was, it was very compounded, you know? So we got there and they're like, well, we have to take everything out because it was literally the, the, of him having the sensitivity and pretty much a massive allergic reaction from the inside of his body out. And it was, 
it was a, yeah. it was a lot at that point of life, you know? So just to kind of fast forward, you know, he had to spend, you know, it was like 18 days in bed laying flat and the shunt was actually an external shunt. So that kind of complicates yeah. more things because a child that is rambunctious and spunky and happy, he wants to move around a lot. And essentially we had to keep him, I don't want to say over-medicated, but medicated enough that he could be relaxed in bed with this external shunt. And that is basically yeah. how you explain what a shunt is on the outside of his body. So they actually contacted the manufacturers and they created a whole new shunt that was made out of polyurethane. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Right. So they were able to replace that. Um, We had to replace his feeding too, because if you think about it, think about everything that is made out of silicone a lot, you know, so we finally got him back stable. I mean, Boston Children's Hospital, they were my driving force. They were behind me. They I mean, they went above and beyond for my child's care, you know, Yeah. So to kind of fast forward, that would bring us um, to March of 2013. And we're like, okay, we're stable. We'll come back for checkups. And we flew back to um, Rochester, New York for Galisano Children's Hospital. So when we arrived, I mean, they had a welcome for him because everyone knew Bryson. Bryson had multiple girlfriends of his nurses. So it was just kind of like a homecoming, you know, coming home. And at this point, They all said, you know, Amanda, you have done so much, but you're going to need help at at home. You know, you're going to still, he's still on TPN because he's still trying to recover because at this point too, he went so long that his stomach almost essentially started to shut down because he, it wasn't working. You know, if you're not using a muscle, it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. Right. So I said, okay. So they're like, well, you're going to probably be here for another month. Um, why we help you set up home care and all of that. I said, okay, you know, we're kind of in the home stretch, you know, this has been, you know, we went into the hospital of April of 2012 and here we are, you know, the end of March. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. You know, I can, I can get through this. And For anyone that doesn't understand, you know, having a chronically ill child or someone in the hospital for a long period of time, it is, it's challenging on everyone, but Bryson, like he was like, just grace, you know, he would give me mommy, it's okay. I'm okay. You know, we actually had a a thing and we still do it to this day of he deemed February 26th, funny face day. And we, we posted pictures on Facebook and everyone got involved and it kind of got crazy and he loved it. So he would just create these fun days of like, mom, it's okay. We're just going to do this. And we would get everyone else involved, but to kind of wrap up, you know, how he um, passed away was his immune system was, so compromised from being in the hospital for so long. He, it's hard. He developed a staph infection. Yeah. And that ultimately, because his body was so weak, his body was just, it was essentially just tired and it couldn't do anything more. He went septic. I remember the night um, that he had to be put on life support. My mom came and it was the day before her birthday. And, you know, Bryson gave her her birthday gift and he was laying in bed and he was just so, so, so tired. He could barely keep his eyes open. And, you know, my parents were getting ready to go back to where they lived about two and a half hours away. Bryson didn't want to let go of my mom's hand. You know, it was almost like he almost knew, you know, like not, a, you know, So, you know, about an hour or so later, they ended up um, leaving and I kind of got in bed with Bryson and the hospital was so amazing. They always let us have like kind of our private rooms, you know, because we were there for so long. You know, they called us the VIP, (laughs) you know, ones there. Mm -hmm. And I was laying in bed with him and um, this is going to age us. But, you know, we're watching Nick at night, you know, (laughs) and and he just kind of went limp. And um, so all the alarms started chiming. And so they came in that we had to make the decision, you know, that he was going on life support. But at this moment, everyone was still giving me the hope. He, his body just needs to rest. We're going to treat him with the highest doses of antibiotics. This is just temporary. Because you felt like you'd been through the worst, right? Yeah. I mean, I felt like I was at the the end and I was just like, at that moment, I'm like, God, I, Mm -hmm. What more do you want my child? 
to go through, you know, give me this pain. Let me take this, you know, why, you know, so that started. So he went on life support and I remember it was probably like day two or three, one of the specialists um, came in and again, they were so amazing. And I asked, I said, do I need to, to plan, you know, for end of life? Because anyone that knew Bryson, when anyone would walk into his room, he was fine with everything, but he would always say, no, no pokes, no print, no pinches, no mask. Right. And that was just him. You know, he would be like, you have to promise me no pokes, no print, no pinches, no mask. And for me, he like, would not have loved this pandemic. I have to no. Say. Oh, my gosh. No, no. Um, I, I mean, I don't think we would ever leave our house during during that time period. So seeing my son being poked, being pinched every hour on the on the hour, having all of these tubes and oxygen. And I just you know, as a parent, you, you never want to come to that decision of, of a life altering, but you know what your child wants. Yes. My child was, you know, he was almost eight. He was four months of um, being eight, four months shy, excuse me, of being eight before he passed away. But when you grow up in the hospital, you are, he just had this sense. I know what I want. This is the care that I need. And, you know, when doctors would come in the room, it would be like, you need to talk to Bryson. This is his body. He needs to be aware of what's happening. And the doctors are like, no, we're not there yet. You know, we don't need to do DNRs or anything like that. So around day six, he was having a really hard, hard time. You know, it was up and down. It was kind of scary at moments. And I just said, I was almost at peace with it. And I said, this is the decision, you know, that I need to make. So I signed, you know, a DNR. So if something was to happen, we are not going to be doing anything more because seeing them come in multiple times that day and doing compressions and trying to get him, you know, back level, it was like, I can't keep doing this. I'm going to be selfish to keep my son alive in this manner, you know? Yeah. 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 The last 18 hours of his life is forever ingrained in my body, in my mind, in the, my daily walk. The hospital was amazing. So, you know, a lot of children's hospitals, they have Ronald McDonald houses where you, are, you can go and stay. But at this particular hospital, um, they actually had a house within the hospital. So you're actually above the ICU. So you can stay right there if you have a chronically ill child. And I remember when they came to knock on the door to wake me up, I knew like in my gut, there was like, it was, it was really, bad. it was really bad. So I go down and seeing everyone working on him. And I'm just like, you know, I can't keep making my son go through this trauma. You know, he is, he lived his life. He did what he had to do. And that would have just been a really selfish decision for me. Now, other parents might make other choices and that's for them. But for me, I just knew that, you know, this was going to happen today. So I tried to be as present as I could, you know, making the decisions. But we all talked about it. And I said, if he crashes, you know, we're going to be done. We're going to let him go. Mm -hmm. It was kind of an out of body experience. It's really hard to, to explain, but you know, when my son was born, I, I didn't see him for the first 24 hours because they had to medevac him to another hospital. And I was at one hospital. So I didn't see him for 24 hours after he passed away or after he was born, excuse me. But when this was happening, he was crashing and they're like, Amanda, are you sure? You know, and, and in that moment, I'm like, the doctors are asking if I'm sure I've already signed a DNR, but we were so close that I also know that they wanted to be like, this is going to be it once we t- turn off the life support. And honestly, it's hard for them too. Yeah. I mean, I've been on that side. I've, I've been that side and it's hard when they know you yeah. so long. And I mean, I, f- I had family that I took care of for over a year in the ICU and it was hard yeah. when she died. It was so hard. they handed Bryson to me cause that was the plan that we had. And huh, I got to hold him for seven minutes while he passed. He was, he was alive for seven, you know, for seven years. And I just felt like each minute was that year. And I was able to be so present and feel his last breath. But at that moment, it was like, it was a very light, like squeeze, but it was like, mommy, I'll see you soon. You know? 
And I was able to just hold him and they, they gave me hours and hours. Like we waited for family to get there. Doctors and nurses. I mean, people that cleaned his hospital room, like they came to the hospital that night. They were off shift. They were home and they came in and that just says so much about Bryson and what he meant to them. We got him cleaned up and, you know, put him in bed. And because um, my nieces and my nephews, you know, they, they were so close with Bryson. So they, they, we, we all made the decision that they were going to come in, you know, see Bryson and, you know, say goodbye to him. And I mean, the level of care that they still did then, I mean, shift change, you know, he passed away at 640 and, you know, shift change was at seven and all the nurses and doctors that were working. I mean, they stayed till, you know, after one o'clock, you know, when I was finally ready to be like, okay, they have to do something, you know, they have to take care of the body now, you know, but it was just not that you want the, the passing, you know, to be like beautiful, but it was a most beautiful, but tragic moment at the same time, because I think going through everything and being able to just be present for what was happening. You know, I think back to what you just said a few minutes ago when you were kind of crying out to God, how much more does he have to go through? And the answer was, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's, we're almost done. It's not what you wanted for an answer, but it's, yeah, it's what the answer was that you're almost there. And it's not to compare stories or journeys or, you know, a death of my son to a death of your son. You know, they're 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 very different and they're complex, you know, and I know that throughout some of your podcasts, people have discussed. I don't know if I could watch my child um, for over a year suffer and die, but then I don't know if I could handle not being able to have that time with my child and having it be instant, you know? And I think a lot of people, you know, they'll say to you, oh my gosh, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't survive that. You don't know what you can or yeah. can't do until you have to. And that's the thing. When people say that you to would. me, it's like, yep, you would. Because, because I don't think I can. And yet I get up every day yeah. and I go on every day. So you just don't know. You just, you have to, you have to, because there is no choice. So the people that say I couldn't do that, there's no choice. There literally is no do. choice. You, know, you, yeah. don't, you don't have a choice that's like, <laughs> right. okay, I'm just, I, 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 I can't do this, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, I can't do this. Like, okay. Right. Well, what? what, what, what? what? There's no, no. Okay. You so know? you don't have to? Like, so, you, have you know, to. after, you, you know, that I went to my sister's and stayed at my sister's because I'm like, oh, I, I can't go home. You know, like, like, what am I supposed to do? No, no, no. And Bryson was you know, knew a lot of people in town, you know, he was that person that everyone knew you went to the grocery store, you went to the, I mean, everyone just knew Bryson in town, you know, he was an ambassador for March of Dimes. He was a, you know, honorary chairperson with the, with a local um, charity services. I mean, he was just so well known. So in that moment, you know, and of course, you know, I get home and the next morning, you know, I'm like, well, now I got to go to the funeral home. I got to do this. I have to, I have to do this. Like, what am I supposed to do? And everyone knew my child. So like, what type of funeral or memorial are, are we going to do? And not only that, it's compounded because he was seven. So you have to think about all of these children that also knew Bryson. Yeah. Right. Right. When we, um, we planned it, you know, it took nine days to, to plan his memorial service, but it was beautiful. Everyone wore red. Um, his, my son's favorite color was red because his, um, favorite movie was lightning McQueen, uh, uh, cars, cars. Yep. I mean, I think, I mean, I could probably just relay you every word sentence right now. Cause we've watched it so many, so many times, <laughs> but it was just a beautiful way to, to send him, to send him off that, it was more of a celebration of life than focusing on the death. We focused on what his life was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
it's hard, you know, when, when there's grief, you don't grieve because you have no hope. You grieve because you have hope. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. The grief is due to just that tremendous love. You know, you never grieve something you don't love and you love your child so deeply and completely. I mean, with every ounce of your being, you love your child. And so that grief is going to be I mean, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy big, right? It, it, you can't think of anything much bigger. It, it took me a couple of years when I, you know, I started going to, um, to counseling um, through the church and, you know, because my mom said it best, you know, I needed to find purpose for myself because I was my son's hands, his feet, his motivator, his, you know, his voice, you know, like, I'm, I'm like, what do I do? what do I do? Like, I, I don't know, what do I do? And a couple of years into counseling, I kind of realized, and this might not be for everyone, but for me, what I had, what I realized um, was that my parents, and this might sound crazy, but my parents have a different level, if not more of grieving than me. And the reason why I say that is they're also grieving for their daughter that they can't take that pain away from their daughter. And then they're grieving for their grandson as well. And that kind of made our relationship a little bit yeah. stronger because I realized, you know, their, their grief is compounded. Yeah. I recently just had a grandmother write to me and I, mm -hmm. I could feel that in her writing because, and she had such worry for her daughter and remaining grandchildren that I almost don't know that she was mm -hmm. taking care of her own grief, which I think was tremendous as well, right? Because so many things, you worry so much about your daughter, you worry so mm -hmm. much about watching her be able to go on, watching her be able to do things. So with, and you yeah. and, yeah. and being able to go on with life, right? They want so much for you to still have a good life. And they're yeah. so afraid yeah. that you won't. Yeah. Now. You know, um, at, you know, after um, my son passed, you know, I started, I, I, and I, and I think a lot of people talk about this too. You're either prepared to go to work or you're not prepared to go to work and that whatever works for you works, you know, right. but I actually started um, a position four months after my son passed away. It would have been the day after his eighth birthday. I actually started a job because at that point it was just, I was a part-time job. Um, and that's what kind of led me to be a, a, you know, a director. Cause I've done, been doing the same type of work, but I just worked Monday through Friday from 6am to 9am because I needed something to get me out of bed. I just needed something. Yeah. And through that, I started like, I love, I love this. I love what I do. I love taking care of, you know, individuals that have, you know, different abilities and they need that, you know, someone to advocate for them. And, and that's how I grew, you know, after that, you know, I came full time, I became an assistant manager, a manager, a senior manager, and my husband and I, you know, we moved to Florida in 2018. He's a hairstylist and, you know, with Paul Mitchell and stuff. So I made that decision to, to move with him. And now I'm an assistant director for a nonprofit of doing exactly what my son would have needed when he grew up. Yeah. You know? And that's what I was going to say. I think it's such a beautiful thing because it's like you're working mm -hmm. every day with him. I mean, it's like Bryson is with you by your side at your job every day. And that is, I mean, that's what the podcast does for me. It's what uh, other things have, I think of many guests that I've had on and how, they have turned their lives into having a little piece of their child with them in whether it's their vocation or a charity that they found or whatever it is, you find a piece of them to kind of hang on to and have that part of your life now. And I, I think it's just so tremendously healing. I think so too. And But you have to open your heart to accept that too, you know, the saying is time here, all time heals all wounds. I mean, it doesn't heal all of the wounds, but it, you know, it makes it a little bit. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Less fresh, I guess you could say. So if someone says something to you, it, maybe it doesn't sting as, as much, but you have to find meaning and passion. And I know my sweet bee would not want me to give up on what I gave him. You know, I kind of just took my loving, my caring for him and just gave it to a different direction. 
um, to be able to help others. So we were talking earlier about how powerful it can really be to stand with other parents and feel what they've gone through in their grief journeys as well. And you had a couple very cool little stories to tell about that. So I would love it if you shared that. Yeah, of course. So so one of them um, happened um, very recently. My husband and I, we went to the mall, um, had to go pick up, you know, cologne, perfume, you know, little things like that. And we actually went to Neiman Marcus and they were out of it. So my husband like, well, let's go to Bloomingdale's. So we went to Bloomingdale's and we picked out what we needed. And I ended up talking with the lady that was checking out and she was putting my information in the computer and she asked what my name was. And I told her Amanda and her response was my angel sent you today. And some people might have just kind of kept going and not paid any mind to it or, or anything like that. But of course, Mm -hmm. my husband, you know, and myself were like, you know, what did you mean? Is everything okay? And, you know, she ended up telling us that her daughter, Amanda, was unfortunately one of the people that passed away in the Pulse nightclub shootings here in, in Florida. And so we just talked a little bit about that. And you could, you know, you could just see that it was helping her talk about it. You know, then I mentioned, you know, I lost my son too. And when you talk to other people, it's that connection of the the group that you never want to be a part of. But when you connect with other people, you realize that you're not alone in the world. Yes. So, so valuable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we talked a little bit more and, and um, my son's name was Bryson Alexander. And she actually had a son that passed away seven years prior to her daughter passing away. Mm-hmm. Um, and his name was Alexander. And, you know, it's just like sometimes those connections that you have to be able to open up your heart to, to see that others are on the same journey. It's just, can you open your eyes to, to see that? To see yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. And you said now you left with her phone number yes. and... Yeah. Yeah. And we, we message back and forth now and, you know, it's just, you know, I'm doing okay today or, you know, you know, different anniversaries come up and, you know, and my son's anniversary of his passing just, just happened um, of April 4th and it was eight years. And she remembered that. And she just sent me a message and she's like, I know this is a hard year for you because this is now he's been gone longer than he was alive. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. And that's something that only another bereaved parent would really kind of think about. And it's funny how you just do, I don't know, it just changes so much your perspective on things. I mean, even my good friend, Michelle, who I've talked about many times on the podcast, it would, it would have been her little sister's birthday just a few days ago. And I said something to her about it, about, I know that that Jennifer's birthday is coming up on Tuesday. It just was a couple of days ago now. And she said, only you would remember mm-hmm. that. Like no one remembers that. She's, you know, f- in her 50s, her, do- her little sister died when she was young. You know, this has been nobody that she knows knew her mm-hmm. sister. So no one knows th- that day and what that day means. But for me, I remember at, it And even I didn't, you know, before Andy died, I didn't ask her when her sister's birthdays Mm -hmm. are, but, and now her, her older sister's birthday is coming up this Sunday. And I will say something to her on Sunday about that because I just know that it's so nice to have those things remembered, especially when the majority of people aren't going to. And it's just a message thinking of you. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be in depth or, you know, just anything, you know, like, I'm here for you or what do you need? You know, just like anything like that of knowing that someone is remembering your child, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I am so blessed um, to have met my husband. I met my husband three years after my son passed away. So he, my -hmm. husband never knew my son. Now he will tell you. And if you speak to him, he can tell you everything about my child, but it's a different type of, of grieving, you know, because he grieves for the fact that he doesn't know my son and how can he support his wife? He does little things that just take my breath away of like, 
it's almost like my son sent him to me, you know, yeah. that they just, things aligned. So every year on his birthday or the anniversary of his passing, we would go and write messages on the balloons and, you know, send them up to heaven. Oh, and this one just does me in. So the very first year we were just dating. We weren't even engaged yet. You know, we were dating and I have a photo of it because it's so, it, it just touches my heart to like someone could love me that much. But my husband's mom passed away in, in 2012. So I never knew her either, but he literally wrote on the balloon. I'll take care of your mommy. If you take care of mine. Oh, that's so beautiful. You know, and that is just what it is. And we're like, well, maybe they came together and now he has a grandma in, in heaven and, you know, someone to watch after him. And, you know, I look at it as, you know, Alice, Blake's grandma, but we all call her Grammy, you know, and she's done nothing but just love me and support me and, you know, always here. But I also look to her because she lost yeah. a daughter. Right, right. And how can I support my husband that lost a mom? Mm -hmm. So it's, and it feels like we've all just known each other for, for years. And the way that, that the family has embraced me, we actually got married on his grandmother's uh, birthday, you know? And so we, you know, we had a big party for her too, for her birthday. And um, one of Blake's cousins for her, for her 87th birthday, they got, they got her a plaque with all of the grandkids names and birthdays and everything else like that. And they added Bryson to it. Oh, that's so special. And I'm just so grateful for that embrace and for that love, because I know some families, they just decide not to talk about it, move on. It's my gosh, it's been eight years. Why are you still grieving in, in this way? But it's not that you're grieving the death. You're grieving everything that's missing. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And such a perfect way to put it because you just, you're just missing so much, you know, I mean, I've heard so many times, you know, when you lose your parent, you lose your past. When you lose your spouse, you lose your present. When you lose your child, you lose your future. And that's the thing. Every day you're living, you're living your future that, you know, tomorrow's your future. And so every day you're living that future without the child that was supposed to be yeah. there. You know, without the child who should be there, without the legacy you should be leaving, right? Yeah. And it's just, that's what you grieve. You grieve, though, every day having to go on without that person. Yeah. And right? just to wrap up, you know, what my husband does, I mean, even during our wedding ceremony, I wear two bands. You know, we did one with our vows and then my husband made vows to always remember my son yeah, and that he was always going to be a part of our life. And we talk about him constantly and that's our driving force of, you know, what we, what we do, you know, my, my husband and I, we created what's called adaptive artistry and that is just, it's hair, um, but it's teaching salons and other people about how to care for those that have different, different abilities that come into the hair salons, you know, to have a normal experience, you know? So even that it, it's changed my, my husband's perspective on life as well, you know, and even right now, you know, with the pandemic and everything that has happened, everyone's in lockdown, right? We yeah. can't go out, we can't do anything. Um, but my husband's been able to give back and he goes into the homes that I have and he goes and cuts our clients hair, you know, just like normalcy. And, you know, so that just opened up his whole life perspective, you know, as well about that, about that um, giving back. And there's just one more story if, if we have time for it. Yeah, okay. yeah, always. So Bryson's favorite doctor, Bryson called him Dr. B because of, you know, B. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but his name is Dr. Eric Biondi. And I actually spoke to him about coming on this podcast, you know, and making sure that, you know, everything was okay. You know, speaking about some of these stories and, and things like that. And I'm going to read something in a minute that actually came from his father, Eric's father. But Dr. Biondi was 
Bryson's just joy. When he came into the room, every like Bryson was just like, okay, he's here. My favorite doctor, whatever. Bryson just wanted out of the hospital. You know, he was just, you know, when, yeah. when he was stable, I guess you could say when they were treating him, he just wanted to get out of this hospital and everything else. And I mean, there was, of course he wanted to play baseball, exactly. climb a rock wall. I mean, yeah, there exactly. was one day and it's and every time it pops up on my Facebook memories, I just laugh and laugh and laugh because there was one day that the doctors came in and he was grumpy and they're like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, my mom wants me to take a bath and I don't want to, you know? <laughs> and, and, and Bryson literally put me in timeout and he's like, you can't talk to the doctors. Right. And the doctor literally wrote uh, orders, no bath today. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> like Bryson just had him wrapped around his finger. But at this point, you know, Bryson had every doctor nurse bring in pictures of dogs. Right. So his whole hospital room was plastered with all these dogs. And it was, this, I remember this perfectly. It was a Saturday morning and Dr. Biondi came in and Bryson was okay, but you know, he's irritated, you know, annoyed, you know, cause mm-hmm. I, I mean, as much as I say, he's a happy child, how you have to think about you spent 365 days straight, you know, in a hospital, that's going to kind of make anyone sure. irritated. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Dr. Bianca said, well, what do you want to do? He's like, I just want to see your dog, you know? So he's like, well, we'll figure it out or whatever. So a little while later he comes and he's like, Amanda, we're going to break Bryson out of the hospital. I'm like, okay. So we get him in a wheelchair. We hook up all of his equipment or whatever. And we literally go down to like the back of the hospital, the loading dock, probably not supposed to be doing this, you know? And he had his wife, Jessica, and his parents walk the dog to the hospital. So Bryson could spend time with the dog outside. Oh my gosh. So, you know, fun. like so he did fun. so many things like that through, throughout his stay, but you know, it was like 15 minutes of just pure delight. Dr. Biondi realized it's not just treating the chronic illness. It's, it's treating the patient and mm-hmm. what they need for their health and well being. you know? Yeah. And yeah. that just kind of brings like, and I, and I found this, um, and this was a, a note that Dr. Biondi's father wrote him after Bryson passed away. And it just, okay. I think it rounds everything together of how influential Bryson's life was. So he wrote to him, I often reflect on those 15 minutes of meeting Bryson and his mom. I also know that you probably broke every rule in the hospital to make sure that Bryson got a taste of the good life while hospitalized. I will also never forget the excitement and thrill he had. When I came home the other night, mom asked if I had seen that he passed away. I told her that I had not, and she showed me the obituary. As I read it, I was filled with a number of emotions, including sorrow. For a good part of her life, his mother put so much effort into taking care of her son in the best way she could. Her grief must be overwhelming. Anger. Why so young and such a wonderful little boy with a personality of an angel? I can't imagine the grief his mother is going through. And in my business, I run into so many people with huge egos without any reason, but can't hold a candle to the courage and fortitude that Bryson and his mother showed during his short life. I learned more about life and perseverance from Bryson and his mom in 15 minutes than any of those over-inflated egomaniacs that I often meet. Fear. I only met Bryson for 15 minutes, but the impact that he had and his mother had on me will last a lifetime. I can't imagine the energy that the deaths of these children zap from you, who is not only responsible for their health, but many times their emotional well-being as well. It has to take a toll on you, but I'm sure you add remarkable value to lives that the rest of us can only dream about in our careers. Relief. As sad as it is, maybe Bryson's mother will eventually be able to focus on her own life and experiences the joy of living for herself. She is an extraordinary person, and I'm sure will go on to accomplish some extraordinary things. Gratitude. That mom and I had been so lucky when it came to the health of our children. And pride. Obviously, there is something special about you and breaking the rules to ensure that common sense prevails has always been your style. I've read numerous articles with your name in print but nothing has filled me with more pride than seeing your name acknowledged in his obituary. Bryson was special and his mother was remarkable. There will always be a part of my memory. Wow. That's amazing. 
When did he share that with you? Um, I actually went back and because I was because um, Dr. Biondi and I, you know, we would we actually texted last night because I was letting him know about the podcast, but we emailed a lot um, in the very beginning. So this was probably like maybe a week after my son passed away. He he shared it. Wow. He shared it with me. And I don't think he knows this, but I go back to it often, you know, yeah. because yeah. that is just I didn't know him. I, I knew, I knew Dr. Biondi, but I didn't know his dad and just a random person, you know, stranger, I guess you could say that had that got to be an experience, the joy that my son just brought to others, Yeah, you know? And uh, yeah, I think if I were you, I'd think about even framing it. That's beautiful. Right? And, um, and yeah. if you go back and, you know, you, you read it, you know, those are, those are the feelings that you have of, of grief, you know, yes, and yes. all, all of, them. of them, you know, and even reading it about relief. Yes. I yeah. get to live my life, but we always want our child, you know, we always want our children to stay, you know, but yeah. you also have to look at what your path in life is. And some people, they don't, this is what the path was supposed to be, you know, and as hard as that is, I know my life, my son lived a good life. I know my son lived a happy life and I know my son lived a fulfilling life and it was very evident at his memorial service. It was in an auditorium. People were standing. I mean, the amount of medical staff that came, nurses, doctors, hospitalists, and there was another exchange that Dr. Biondi and I said, and he said that he's never been to a memorial service where more medical staff have have been there. And I'm friends with a lot of them on Facebook now, and they can still see my journey through life. And they'll share pictures or memories of, of Bryson that they, that they have. And I can't, I can't even count how many people say I am a better nurse because of Bryson. I know how to care for chronically ill children because of Bryson. I know how to care for the family because you advocated, you know, for your son. And sometimes that's heavy, you know, but then there's, there's pride of my seven-year-old son, you know, did all of that. Right. 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 No. Right. And it's, um, it's that feeling sometimes, you know, when you wake up in the morning, I don't know if you ever experienced this or not. And it's that peaceful moment where it's not that you forget, Mm, but you, but you have that moment of, Huh. it's okay, yeah. you know, and then you wake up, you, you wake up more and you're like, he really is gone, but you wake up for that, just that brief moment. You don't feel that heaviness. You feel him right by you. And then reality gets, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've ever experienced the Oh moments. yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for sharing Bryson. It is a powerful story. And I just loved it. And I loved hearing about him and hearing about you and what you've been able to do. And just all Bryson did, all Bryson did and how he affected so many people. So thank you for sharing it with others now. Thank you. You know, and I want people to know that keeping your child's memory alive, however you want to keep your child's memory alive, that is something that you just have to feel comfortable with. And don't be afraid if you make other people uncomfortable. Yes. I did that in the beginning. And then I said, well, what? I mean, I'm already uncomfortable for the rest of my life. So if they're uncomfortable for a moment, I need to make yep. sure that people remember my child that he lived. And especially for those bereaved parents like myself that don't have any other children, you are still a mom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. know that you you have that to to grasp onto, and to live your life knowing that your your child mattered, that your child's memory can live on. And again, we are in this club that no one wanted to be a part of. But Marcy, you bring all of them together now, and we have something to look forward to listening to, and we're all there at the same time, 
experiencing those feelings with each other. And we are support, even though we might not know each other, we don't talk with each other, but that support is there. And just thank you so much for having this platform for others um, to be able to express their grief, their journey. And the, that like what I like to call the aftermath of, of a tragedy and what you're doing forward now. So just thank you so very much. Oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.